that. So Luke 17, grab your Bibles and look with me there. This morning I want to talk to you about extraordinary, ordinary servants. Extraordinary, ordinary servants. And so when you think about being a servant, you typically think of someone who's humble. You, you think of someone who has a heart for others. You think of someone who uh, cares about the needs of others over and above their own. And so when you think about that, you may also think about, well, I don't really see a lot of that around me. I don't really see that in the culture. I don't really see that in the workplace. Sometimes uh, I wonder if I see that in the church, though we should see it in the church. Because the reality is, and I think we could all agree to this, humility is not often something that you see. It's not something you regularly see. Vance Havner uh, used to say that some preachers can strut sitting down. I, that word picture is kind of hard to understand, but humility is not always seen. It's even the case when it comes to those who are in ministry, the preachers. And so Vance Abner, one of the great Southern Baptist preachers of the 20th century, used to say that, that some preachers can, set, can strut setting down. I wonder if you've seen someone or met someone like that. I believe everyone runs the risk of thinking too highly of themselves thinking of themselves in a way that they probably shouldn't. I came across a story from Chuck Swindoll where one of his friends, one of his pastor buddies once shared with him that uh, he had preached on a Sunday morning and really thought the message was great, right? Uh, really thought it was a d great delivery, hit all the points, told the illustrations correctly, brought application and was clear and passionate and a forceful in his, his, his rhetoric there. And so, man, I tell you, that morning, he, after he got finished, he really thought he had delivered a great message. Heard it at the back. You know, he's at the back of the worship center greeting people as they were leaving that morning. And person after person told him how wonderful the message and the sermon was. And so thought to himself, God, this is great. Man, it's really good. I'm glad that they understand how important and how good of a message this was this morning. So that pastor goes home and his wife, who I, they probably like, my wife and I, we drive separate, not because we don't like each other, it's just because of the busyness of a Sunday morning, and so she probably drove separate, and he gets home a little bit later than she does, and he walks in, and they've got five children, and he finds his wife, not greeting him at the door like he would have wanted, and she's in the kitchen, busy getting lunch prepared as the kids are scattered throughout the house, and so rather than being welcomed at the door... With the comment of, oh, great orator, welcome to lunch today. You preach fabulously. Come into the house. He heard from the kitchen, honey, the baby's dirty. Can you change him? Well, he thought, man, that's not really the task for the great preacher that I am today. And that seems sort of lowly. Why would you ask me to do that? But nevertheless, he went and changed the baby, got him cleaned up, and all was good. Next thing he heard from his wife was not, man, that was a fabulous message. He heard, honey, can you take the trash out? It's been sitting there a couple days. It's overflowing. Again, he thought, well, this seems to be beneath such a great preacher as myself, someone who delivered such a wonderful message, but he did it as a good, faithful, loving husband. He took the trash out. Well, finally, they sit down to lunch and begin to eat, and he looks over to his wife and says, babe, what did you think about the message? And she says, well, honey, I heard them at the door today, and they said enough for two weeks. Again, he's humbled by that. Sometimes we construct even setting down. I thank the Lord for a spouse who can keep us grounded at times. You know, it's been said that pride is as natural and as common to grow in the human heart just like lard on a pig. 
Pride is there, right? Pride is common within our lives. It comes naturally, it's, and everyone is susceptible to it. Uh, there was a frog who once asked two geese who were about to fly south if, he could, if they would take him with them. Well, first these two geese looked at the situation and resisted, thinking, man, there's no way that we could fly you south. I mean, you can't hold on to our back. You can't hold on to our feet. There's no way that we can take you south. But the, the frog was insistent. And so he came up with a plan. He says, if you guys will take a stick and hold it between your two beaks, I'll hold on to that, that stick with my mouth, and you can take me south where it's warmer for the winter. And so they decided to do that. And so uh, they took the stick, they put it in their beaks, they took off, and he's holding on to it with his mouth. Well, people looked up in the sky and they thought, this is the craziest and the most amazing thing that I've ever seen in my entire life. This is awesome. So they're just ecstatic by what they're seeing from the ground, hollering up to these two geese lined up in the air and this frog hanging from them. And so they began, some person screamed out, who in the world's idea was it to, to do such a thing? And in that moment, the frog released and said, it was I, it was my idea. Pride will lead you to a fall. It can wiggle its way into every situation of life. Pride is deceptive. In fact, it's so deceptive that we as Christians can sometimes find ourselves believing our own news clippings, believing the stories about ourselves. It can create a disposition within us that serves the Lord and others solely for the recognition that we receive from it. That sense of gratitude and feeling that it brings. It's equally deceptive by leading others to believe that one is received and blessed by the Lord through the service that they render, the service that they give to the Lord and to others. In other situations, pride will prevent service to others because that person will begin to believe that it's beneath them, that the service that they're to offer and should offer someone is beneath them as a person. As we take our next step in this trek through the Gospel of Luke, Jesus here is going to present to us a short parable that illustrates the ideal attitude that a disciple, you and I, ought to have in serving God. The parable we're going to look at this morning is only found in this gospel. It's not in Matthew, it's not in Mark, it's not in the gospel of John. It is exclusively right here, and it highlights the necessity of faithfulness coupled with humility. Man, we want to be faithful to the Lord, Amen. We also want to be humble in that. The scene here in this parable begins near the end of daytime chores. A servant who plows the field or a servant who watches the sheep returns from a day's work to the home. And there Jesus raises the question whether this slave is going to get to rest and eat upon the return. In other words, he's asking the question, is it right for the master to serve the servant? Is it right for the master to take and don himself or herself with the, with the clothing of a servant and fix a meal while the servant rests? Or does the servant, even after he's, he's done all the day's work, come home and wait and fix dinner for the master? Well, the obvious answer is no. In fact, no master would do that. The slave's going to prepare the master's meal immediately and just as he's completed the chores, and then he's going to clean up, and then that slave or that servant, that bond servant, is going to fix his own meal, and then he will rest. 
And so the house here that serves as the basis for this illustration, we're going to get into it in a moment, we can clearly see that this is not a, a wealthy house. It's not a, 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 the house of a multi-millionaire. It's the house of someone who has one servant, and that one servant does all of the chores. chores. And so the point is not economic from a standpoint, but it's the sense of duty that we're going to look at, look at this morning in the life of this Servant. So as this, we work our way through these verses, I want you to see this morning this. I want you to see that the faith of a disciple produces faithfulness in the duties of the Christian life. Luke places the request from the disciples for their faith to be increased that we looked at last Sunday right between this concept or this, this teaching on forgiveness and faithfulness. We need God to increase our faith so that we can forgive others the way we should. We looked at that last Sunday. But we also need the Lord to develop and deepen our faith in him as we seek to serve the Lord by serving other people. So, being grounded by a solid belief in God and his word, we can serve the Lord and his people faithfully. So, look with me, Luke 17. Let's begin reading in verse 11. Luke says, on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. Now, did I say in verse 11? I wrote it wrong in my note. Man, I thought that was wrong. It's like, that's next Sunday. Verse 7, sorry. Will any of you, Jesus says, who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep, say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at table? Will he not rather to say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are un unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. And so we see here in this passage, this correct passage, that servants who serve the Lord, they're not a special class of people. They're not a, uh, the, uh, the elite. They're not the SEAL teams of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And so there's nothing extraordinary about them other than the fact, hear this, that they're rare. Extraordinary, ordinary servants are rare. What do you mean by that? It, it comes down to just simply understanding that I am doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm not doing it for recognition. I'm not doing it for fame. I'm not doing it for merit. I'm just doing it because I want to love the Lord. I want to love the Lord's people right extraordinary ordinary servants let's look this morning at what we're calling this type of servant we see here that extraordinary ordinary servants believe what god has said their faith has three dispositions those are what i want to share with you this morning first of all extraordinary ordinary servants do what is expected they just simply do what is expected. Jesus here applies the parable to his disciples in verse 10 by comparing the picture to their service to god He's comparing their service to the Lord. Obedience is not to be accepted as a cause for merit. Now, I want you to understand as we read through this parable, we are never to look at our service. We're never to look at what we're doing for the Lord as something that earns merit or earns our favor to the Lord. Instead, it's to be accepted solely as a fulfillment of duty. So the servant here in this parable has simply done what is expected of him. By putting the parable in between the, 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 the idea of faithfulness and the idea of following the Lord, by putting the parable in these terms, the stress here is on the servant's 
humble self-esteem. He doesn't think too highly of himself knowing that he doesn't possess the authority to pick and to choose what to do. Look at what he says here. He says he is unworthy. Unworthy. Some of your Bibles, I don't know what translation you may have, but we typically are preaching out of the ESV, and that's how it's translated here. And so some of your Bibles may have the word useless. Well, the term here in the Greek, I don't think conveys the idea of useless, right? I think it better conveys the idea of unworthiness because the term is referring to function. It's not referring to inherent worth. And so what Jesus is saying here is that you are to understand our unworthiness. We're, un we're to understand the, the functionality of our faith and service to the Lord is something we're doing out of what's been done to us. We're not to see in this some sort of inherent worth by which we're to earn or to uh, bolster in our life. So this servant's simply doing what he's supposed to do because he doesn't have the authority to do anything other than what he is supposed to do, the commands from the master. And so knowing his rightful place as a servant, his responsibility is to do all that is expected of him. So here's this servant coming in from doing the chores. He's Tended the sheep, he's plowed the field, whatever the day's work was, he comes in, there's no complaint, there's no grumbling, there's no fussing about the fact that this servant now comes, he's hot, he's sweaty, he's tired, but now it's on to the next thing. It's on to making dinner and to prepare the things for the evening for the master. So knowing and understanding one's rightful place is the task and the duty of the servant. It's the responsibility, and this responsibility is to come without grumble and without complaint. It's just like the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15 that we looked at a few weeks ago. This servant also understands, also knows that faithfully serving the master is the best place to be. You remember that son, that prodigal son in that parable? He's left, he's squandered all of his inheritance, but then he remembers my father's servants have it better than me here. I'm in the wrong place. I need to go and be in the right place. And so as we faithfully serve the Lord and we do so with a heart that loves the Lord and loves others, that is the right place to be. And so all of this speaks to function. The servant knows his unworthiness. And so should we. We need to understand that we are unworthy. We need to understand that we as Christians have a master, and that master's name is King Jesus. And that master calls the shots, and that master dictates what we're to do. That master gives the orders. That master calls us into service. And so we must simply do what is expected of us. We do what is expected of us out of duty. Why? Because he commands it. We do it because he said so. But we also do what is expected because we love the one who gives the command, right? Jesus said in John 15, 14, 15, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll obey my commands. So we do, we do our service out of duty. We do it because we know it's expected of us. But in that, we also are doing it because we love the one who's making the commands. The servant in the parable in no way is grumbling and complaining to his master or about his master out of a hatred for him or a dislike. No, there's love there. There's genuine, authentic service due to love in this servant. If you want to be an extraordinary, ordinary servant of King Jesus, then simply do what the king says. Do what is expected of you. And perhaps this morning you're sitting here and you say, well, pastor, what is that? What is it that we're to do? What is it that is expected of me? 
The prophet Micah said in Micah 6.8, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? That's what the Lord expects of us. Elsewhere, the Bible calls us as believers to pray without ceasing. It calls us to rejoice in the Lord. It calls us to be doers of the word. It calls us to make disciples of others. And among many other things, it calls us to use our giftedness in service of the Lord. Extraordinary, ordinary servants simply do what is expected. There's a second disposition. They require no recognition. They require no recognition. Verse 9 The question here in this verse sets at the center of this comparison. The question that's offered in this verse is rhetorical. That's how we read it in our English translation. And and it is the same way in the Greek, but in the Greek text, it gives us the negative answer. The, The sentence in the Greek begins with the word may or the word not. So what we see here in this verse is that there are no thank you gestures accompanying the activity of the servant, which is the very point of what Jesus is making here. The servant, an extraordinary, ordinary servant, requires no thank yous, no recognition, no thataboys, no pat on the backs, no anything. They're just simply doing what they know they're supposed to do. Servant has simply done what was commanded, what is expected, what is his duty. As I read this verse, and I think about how many Christians put their spiritual gifts to work, serving the Lord by serving others, serving the Lord by serving in and through the church. I don't know about you, but verse 9 seems, sounds, comes across a tad harsh, right? Look at it, what it says. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? No. Well, you read there and you're like, well, should we thank anybody? Should we ever show gratitude? Should we ever express our, our, our love and appreciation for what someone else has done on behalf of, uh, of someone or myself? Or, I mean, should we ever say thank you? That's not at all what Jesus is leading us to believe, that we should share no or show no gratitude. No. And in fact, I feel the opposite. See, I want to, as a pastor, recognize people for their faithful service. I, I want to make a big deal when someone serves and put their, hearts, their heart into doing and, and ministering to others. I want our people who serve to see and to know that their work never goes unappreciated, never goes unseen, never goes unnoticed. I want them to know that it makes a difference. So when I get a parent texting me and saying, hey, I just had an opportunity to have a conversation, really multiple conversations with our son or our, our daughter. And, and they've come to a place of faith and they've come to a place of conviction. And now they've trusted Jesus as Lord and Savior. I can't help but say, great job. Thank you for doing that. Now, you're, not, you're not necessarily blessing me, but thank you for taking ownership of your child's discipleship because that's what you should be doing. So I want to step into that and, and say thank you and, and well done. Good job. Keep it up. We want to say those things because it's the right thing to do. Same would be true of those who give hours of time preparing for big events in our church or serving lunch after a funeral. I mean, one of the things I always try to do when we have a funeral lunch or some sort of funeral meal, one of our members has had a loved one pass away, is I want to always go into that kitchen and thank those folks in there because, man, they're giving a whole day to that. And it's a great ministry to our, our church family. So we want to express our gratitude. We want to show love and appreciation for what others do in service of people. 
Jesus' point here in this parable is to argue that extraordinary, ordinary servants do not serve for the recognition. He's not telling us to not recognize. He's telling the servant, you do not do this because you can get a pat on the back. You don't do this to earn favor with the Lord. You don't do this so that you look better in the eyes of other folks. No, you do it because it's what you're supposed to do. It's doing it because you've been commanded to do it. So here's a great reminder for all of us today. Because all of us are tempted to serve for the praise of others. All of us are. Right? I started out with a little funny story about a pastor who really thought he preached a good sermon. And he wanted the attaboys. And that's just natural. There's, inherently, there's nothing naturally wrong with that. It's when you live for that. Because we all want to hear a thank you. We all want to hear that our service landed in a place where it made a difference. I preach every single Sunday, except for the times that I'm out of town or whatever. Right, So I'm, I'm here 48 Sundays, probably a year at least, preaching. If I never heard that you listened to anything I said or it made any difference in your life, that would be very discouraging. So I love hearing the stories. I love when you walk out of here on a Sunday morning and say, Pastor, that really spoke to my life today. I, I understand. I, I've been dealing with this in my life. And that, man, I don't know if you meant that. I don't know if, if kind of God gave you a glimpse into my life because you spoke right where I'm at. I need to hear those things because it encourages me. Right? And you're the same way. You're serving in a small group. You're serving in kids' ministry. You're serving out here in our parking lot. You need to hear the stories that what you're doing makes a difference. But you should not, and I pray you do not, serve for the slap on the back, for the recognition, for the prestige, for whatever reason that you may need or pursue out of a prideful, arrogant disposition. Extraordinary, ordinary servants require no recognition. There's a third disposition. They find blessing in the work. They find blessing in the work. So verses 7 and 8, we see here that the servant has worked all day in the field, and the servant comes home to wait on the master. It's only after every chore is finished that the servant then has the opportunity to sit down and to eat and to rest, to kick his feet up for a little bit. The main thrust here of these two verses is to undergird the idea of the servant doing what is commanded of him. Yet, there is a blessing or a sense of sustenance that comes from engaging in the work. Look there with me. I want you to see this. Verse 7, will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once and recline at the table? No. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink? And afterward, what does he say? You will eat and drink. You say, what's the big deal here? You're going to eat and drink. Well, you get to partake part of the work that you're doing. Right? Here's the servant. He's worked all day. Now he's worked all evening. And it comes to his point in the, in the whole story that he gets to receive. He gets to partake. He gets to, to enjoy the blessings of his labor. He gets to eat and drink. So here's the, high, the idea that I want to highlight. While extraordinary, ordinary servants are to do what is expected and must not require recognition, they can and they should find blessing in the work that God gives them to do. 
You see, the Lord has called us into his service. He's put us into his service. Not just that we would just be like robots and, and just do the work. And, and no, no thought, no recognition, no, no consideration of why you do it or how you're doing it. Just robotically do it. That's not what we're called to do. But he also didn't call us that we can get all the glory and all the limelight, none of that stuff. What he does is he calls us into service and we get to partake of it as well. Here's the case in point. I get a text this past Wednesday from one of our parents, one of the parents of one of the children that was baptized today. Pastor, um, my son would like to, to be baptized Sunday. We've been talking with him about the gospel over the last few weeks, and uh, a week or so ago, he, he prayed to receive Christ, and uh, can we set up a time for you guys to talk, because he would really like to be baptized with his brother. Absolutely. Let's set that up, right? Let's set that up. You say, how does that engaging and being blessed in the work? Here, here's what it is. We have families that get this. We have families in our church, praise God, that get this, that the gospel discipleship of kids is not the responsibility of the senior pastor and the staff pastors and the children's ministry and all of that. No, it's our responsibility. I'm the first line of discipleship in my home, and people are beginning to own that. So that thrills my heart because I get to hear that there's a family who's owning their faith, owning their, their Christianity, owning the gospel in their home, and they're investing in their children. And so I look at that and say, praise the Lord. We're seeing it. It's taking place. It's working. It's infiltrating into the lives of our people. And so that's me engaging in the work. So here, I'm laboring all the time. Our staff's laboring all the time. Our elders are laboring all the time, teaching, ministry, investing in people. And sometimes we wonder, do we get anything back from this? And then all of a sudden, the Lord will throw us a crumb. Oh, yeah, here's some. Eat that, baby. That, that's good stuff. Here, here's something. Feed on this for a little bit. So that jives you up, man. That, that encourages you. That invigorates you to lean in it that much more and keep going. We find blessing in the work. When people respond to the gospel, when people believe the word of God. You see, it fires me up when I hear a student that hear about a student that texted another student about surrendering to Jesus, and then all of a sudden, the following week, that student comes onto a Wednesday night. Nate was telling me the story a couple weeks ago. Here's a student that comes, hears the gospel on a Wednesday night, responds in faith. And it all started because one of our other teenagers had a heart and a passion for this particular student and sent a text message. And in a probably a broken, not the best approach to share the gospel, obviously not seminary trained, right? We're not writing Lifeway curriculum here with this text, I'm sure. I don't read the text. But here's a teenager in a teenager way sharing the gospel with another student. That student has ongoing conversations most likely. Here's the gospel again at a Wednesday night elevate service and responds in faith. That fire you up. You guys are terrible. Does that not excite you at all? Still, it's pretty weak. It tells me that some of you are not engaging in it. You have no idea what I'm talking about. You're like, this guy, this is stupid. Uh, this guy's, he's crazy. He's probably what you're thinking. So if that's you this morning, I don't mean to be mean. You got to lean in a whole lot more to your faith. The reason you may not think that this is a big deal is because you're not actually doing any work either. So if you would lean into that and you begin to invest in other people's lives, you see it begins to take root and it's changing them and it's changing others. Goodness gracious, that'll fire you up. Or you get a scenario where here's a man that begins to be convicted over his sin. Whatever that sin may is, this is a hypothetical story. 
But that's, that husband, that, that man begins to sense sin, begins to confess that sin, gets right with the Lord, gets right with his wife, brings other men into that circle, gives them authority and an opportunity to speak into his life and to make sure there's accountability there. That's something that will get me fired up. It should get you fired up because what does it mean? It means that when we teach the word of God, it's not falling on deaf ears. People are taking it serious. Lord, help us if we come here on Sunday mornings just to go home. Might as well stay home. Lord, help us if we come here on Sundays and, and other times when we gather. And you just sit under the teaching and you say, that's a beautiful sermon, Pastor. It was really nice, a little fuzzy. You kind of mess the illustrations up, which is the story of my life. And then you leave and it makes no difference in your life. That's where some of you might be this morning. But when we begin, begin to see as we are, have been and are seen in the life of our church, man, it takes root in a person's life. And it begins to inf just invade every space of their life. And it's growing and developing them. It pours over into other people's lives. And you just see this multiplicity of, of the work of God all throughout our church and into our community. That is something where we can step back as the servants of God and say, praise the Lord. He's allowing us to find blessing in this work. Man, being a Christian is fun. Being a Christian gives you a sense of purpose. It, this is not just some sort of religious stuff where I'm going to come and I'm going to sit in this religious service. I'm going to hear some dude that not as eloquent as I probably wish he was uh, just kind of mumble through this. And, and I'm not going to do anything else than jump through religious hoops. That's not what the Christian life is about. The Christian life is about letting this word of God get down deep in the recesses of your life and spill over into someone else's life. And in all of that, we get the blessing of seeing the gospel change a life. Y'all need serious help in the area of amens. But I see progress this morning. I am engaging in the blessing of the work of trying to get you excited. I'll take it for what it is this morning. Hey, if, if you've served the Lord long enough, I think you know what I've been trying to get across, right? I think you understand this. All the time that we're putting in, all the strain, all the frustrations of people floundering around, are worth it when we get to partake of the blessing of a changed life. Most of the time, those blessings are incremental, right? It's three steps forward, it's one step back. That's progress. It's not the, just the trajectory we'd love to be. We want to skyrocket. A lot of times it's up, down, up, down, up, down, but hopefully we're making progress as we go forward. It's an investment in people. Here's what also we should know when we invest in people. It's painful, it's messy, it's dirty, it's just, it's hard. Right, you get into someone's life and you allow someone into your life, that is a painful mess. And I'm telling you, if someone will let you in, if you will love them to Jesus and you'll pour the word of God into them and you'll pray over them and you'll encourage them and sometimes you'll rebuke them like we were looking at last Sunday, when you do all of those things and they know you, they that you love them and you care for them, you're going to be there no matter what. That wall begins to come down, and what happens is that life and that family and that situation was an absolute mess, and it's been painful for you to be, for you to be in it, but all of a sudden, little by little, it begins to turn around. There's nothing like seeing a life or a family that's been dead and trespasses in sin been brought back to life. There's nothing like seeing 
where you think a marriage is absolutely at its very end. There's no possible way for it to be resurrected to new life. And all of a sudden, Jesus gets a hold of that because he's using you to invest there, using others to invest there. And what seemed to be dead and lifeless is now little by little coming back to life. Is that because we're slick and we're good counselors and we know how to say certain things? No, that's not at all the truth. We know that Jesus that's in the business of resurrection. And so we find blessing in the work. Here's a servant who works hard every single day, comes home, works hard every single evening, but in all of that, he gets to partake of the same thing. He finds blessing in his work. May we lean in as extraordinary, ordinary servants, humbly serving people, getting our hands dirty. You notice that he doesn't say in this parable, maybe it's because it's an agrarian culture, but I guess he could have used some white-collar illustrations if he wanted to, but he didn't. He used the, the work of a farmer and of a shepherd. What happens when you go out and you farm or you tend sheep? You get dirty. And when you minister and invest in people's lives, you're going to get dirty but it is worth it. It's worth it. Extraordinary, humble, extraordinary, ordinary servants are humble. They don't expect any praise. They don't expect any recognition. They just simply want to go and to do what is expected of them. And then they understand that in all of that, they get to partake of the blessing. They get to engage in the goodness of the work. And so this morning, I wonder what sort of servant are you? What kind of servant are you? Sadly, there are probably some people here who serve in our church from a disposition of merit. I, I say that not because I know of any right off the top of my head. That's just statistics. There's probably some here that your theology, your understanding of the gospel is skewed. And you think that if you will do more and you'll do it better, then somehow, some way, God will say, well, you're really faithful. I'm going to let you in my kingdom. That never happens. That was the reality, those Pharisees would have been in really, really good position with the Lord. But Jesus looked at him and says, you're like whitewashed tombs full of dead men's bones. You look really, really good on the inside, but you're dead and decaying on the inside. Others may be serving from a disposition of recognition. You love the praise. You love the lauding of others. You, you, you love the slaps on the back and the prestige that it may bring. And you say, whoa, man, you're on the stage. Or, man, I see you in the parking lot all the time. Or whatever. Or you're the best Bible study teacher in the whole church. Man, if that's your disposition, I would beg you this morning to be humble and to get rid of that disposition. It's a faulty one. Others may be serving because you understand the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is where we need to land all of us. Understand that a true servant of Christ doesn't want recognition, just simply does what is expected of them and understands that God is going to use them to change people's lives. And so this morning, what kind of servant are you? How is your serve? And I'm not talking about pickleball. Have you answered God's call to serve? Because pickleball will mess you up, right, Miss Jan? You know, I was thinking about playing pickleball there, and then she uh, had her accident earlier this fall, and I said, you know, I'm, I'm done. I don't need another surgery, so pickleball is not in my future. But how's your serve? 
Have you answered God's call to serve? Are you doing what is expected of you? You know, I made an appeal earlier when I talked about two services that we, we still need people to serve in various areas. Some of you are not serving anywhere. There's very few of you that don't serve anywhere. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you're a member of our church, you need to use your giftedness in some form or fashion in the life of this fellowship. So how are you serving? Right? You're not serving me. You're not serving the elders of our church. You're not serving our staff. You're not coming and saying, bowing down to us and saying, oh, great, James, we serve because you told it. No, 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 no. The word of God would tell us to serve here. And it just says, just do what is expected of you, right? Don't worry about recognition. But then you know there's blessing in that service. Nothing like being blessed. Knowing that what you've done honors the Lord, it's good for others, and it leads to a changed life. And so this morning, are you an extraordinary, ordinary servant? Or are you somebody that struts setting down? Let's pray. Father, this morning we thank you for serving us. The only reason we can serve others, the only reason we can look at this parable and the teaching here from Luke's gospel and think about how we can be a better servant is because we have first been served. And Jesus, you served us best on the cross. You got down and got dirty and painful and messy. You experienced all of the things that we should experience for ourselves when you went to the cross and bore our sin. But Lord, thank you for the grace and the mercy that you've bestowed upon us through the shedding of your blood. And so now, Lord, in response to that, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, as the redeemed, we want to serve. We want to be a blessing. We want to be a servant who just simply does what you've told us to do. Because we love you and because we obey you. And so, Father, I pray this morning for all of us that we would look at and do a self-assessment of ourselves. How is my serve today? How is my serve in the church? That's where our first line of service needs to be. How are we serving through the body of Christ. Father, I pray this morning for those who would have a negative answer to that. My service is terrible. My service is non-existent. My service is whatever. Father, put on our hearts what that issue is and give a desire to step into that space. Lord, this morning, some in this room, some may be watching online, they can't serve because they've not yet received the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. They've not yet received and believed on Jesus for salvation. And so, God, I pray this morning that those, man, woman, child today, would say yes to Jesus and receive what he's done for us. Would you bless us, lead us? Father, give us ears that will hear, a heart that will listen, and a mouth that will confess this morning what we need to do, and take care of the business that we need to take care of as we move into this time of response. It is yours. We give you charge over it in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand to your feet. This morning as we sing, if this is a time where the Lord has put on your heart a decision that you need to make, I encourage you to do that. Maybe you can come forward, make these steps here on altar. If you need prayer, if you need to talk to someone about what it means to follow Jesus, this is your opportunity to do that this morning. So you respond. What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? He yearns no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast. We trust that you and your family have been encouraged and blessed today. 
If you have just made a decision to follow Jesus, or if you would like to pray with someone, or even if you want to know more about our church, please contact our church office or send us an email. We are looking forward to seeing you next week here in person or online. See you then.